wrapping our exposition of the Gospel of John. Last week, we looked at verses 12 through 20, and we saw Jesus as the light of the world. Last week, we heard the announcement from Christ that He is the light of the world. Not only, not a light, but the light. Remember that. Not only a light, or not not a light, but the light of the world. There is no other light, there is no other way by which men can be saved but through Christ, the light of the world. Amen? We saw the rejection of that light. And although we may not have been surprised that the Jews were, were going to reject Christ, it is still sad to see those who are walking in darkness refuse to come to the light. And I'm sure that you experience this on a daily basis. Those who are walking in darkness who refuse to come to the light. If you learn anything from them, learn not to walk in their path. If you learn anything from their rebellion and from their pride, learn not to be like them. Finally, we saw the origin of the light. Christ knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. The people thought they knew Christ. They thought they knew his father. But Jesus boldly said to them in John 8, 19, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. And in this statement, he was equating or, or making himself equal with God, the Father. The people, they couldn't understand this. It was like the more truth that Christ was giving them, the more they rejected Christ. They were paving a way for their own destruction. Listen, they were designing their own maps that could be displayed for someone who wants to learn how to die in their sins on a highway to hell. They were paving their own maps or paving their own way or roads and making their own maps for how to die in your sins and how to end up on a highway straight to hell. Today, we are going to look at that map. We are going to look at that map with careful detail so that we can avoid that path at all cost. And also so that we can presently warn those who are on that path, who are on that road. We could warn them. Of the destruction that is ahead of them. Amen. On that road or today we will see the road of self-righteousness, worldliness, unbelief and willful ignorance. Now, let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter eight, verse twenty one. So he said to them again, I am going away. And you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where am I going, you cannot come. Or where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. 
Those who have ears to hear, let them hear the word of God. May be seated this morning. This conversation is taking place in what is known as the treasury. That's told to us in verse 20. This is a place where, where offerings were placed. And at this point of the, the conversation, at this point of Jesus' life, Jesus is six months away from going to the cross. At this time, this moment that we're talking about, six months from now, Jesus will be going to the cross. The passage begins in verse 21 with the word again. The word again means or once more. And it indicates a pause. It indicates a pause in their discussion, but it also indicates a continuation in what with what was previously stated. And Jesus begins his statements with a, a very haunting warning. And it can be overlooked as you read it if you don't look at it carefully in view of the rejection of the light that we spoke of last week. So there's a haunting warning that Christ begins with. And you could overlook it if you're not seeing that they have just rejected the light. So feel the weight of this announcement of the light from Christ as we work forward to verse 21. Verse, 20, verse, verse 12, he says this. I am, or ego me, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Christ comes, and in this passage, he is offering light to those who are roaming in darkness. And not only that, but those who are in darkness will not only have light, but they will also have life. So he's offering them a, a, a two-package deal. You come out of darkness, you will come into light, and not only will you come into light, but you will have life. And that light is Christ. Life is Christ. He's offering himself. We stated last time that you would think that people would come running to the light. But the response, of course, as we know, is to reject this offer of light and life. Verse 13, they said, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You're a liar. You're fake. You're phony. You're false. This is the response that they give Jesus at the invitation to coming to light and life. Now, listen close and, and pay attention as we go forward. Christ then goes on to explain where he came from, his oneness with the father and his authority because of that oneness. And what is the response? Where is your father? Verse 19. Once again, complete rejection of Christ. Once again, sinful pride prevents them, these people from coming to the light, receiving life and living. Now, do you see the pattern? Each time light is offered, people run back to their darkness. Once again, light is offered. People race back to their darkness. And yes, they were born in darkness. Yes, they love their darkness. But it does not negate the fact that Christ is offering them a window of freedom. And every time that window of freedom is being opened to them as they are in the darkness, they shut the blinds and say, we don't want it. So... This is what he says in light of the fact that every time he opens up the window and says, you can have light and life. They shut it. He says this to them in verse 21. I'm going away. I'm going away. Now, think about the, the weight of that. Each time light is offered, they say, I don't want it. Light is offered. I don't want it. Finally, Christ says, listen, I'm going away. And you will seek me. And you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Why do I say haunting? Because I am going away. 
What is Jesus saying with this statement? In light of your heart-heartedness, every time I offer you life, you reject it. Every time I give you the, the, the offer of light, you say no. So I am going to turn you over to darkness. Don't be that person. Don't be the person that each time light and life is offered to you, you consistently and constantly reject it. Because he will turn you over to your sin. And the response, therefore, will be, I'm going away. Jesus is what and who they had all been waiting for. He is the, the Messiah that they had been looking for, but they rejected it. And this statement is, is true that, yes, in six months I will literally be gone. But here's the reality of this. This is a warning. You have been given light and you have loved your darkness so much and rejected the light so many times that you will be stuck there. And you won't be able to find light. It will be gone. Light will be gone. You will look for it. But the opportunity has already passed you by. Don't waste the opportunity. Each time it's given to you, don't waste the opportunity. If you hear this now, respond, repent, and turn to Christ. Don't wait. Don't think I've got tomorrow. Don't think, as my brother was saying the other day when he was teaching on biblical parenting, that I'll, I'll wait till I get old and then I'll start serving God. Don't let the moment pass you by. Don't let the opportunity of light pass you by. Jesus is saying to them essentially this. You are getting truth from the source of truth. And then it will be gone. And then I, he, will be gone. I'm speaking to you now. And then you will look for me. But that chance will have passed you by. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent. The gospel will be preached for only a little while. It will endure the gospel. But you will not. This gospel, whether you live or die, will continue to pass on until Christ returns. It's not going nowhere, but you are. He says in verse 21, and you will seek me. Messiah has come. You've been seeking Messiah. Guess what? He's standing right in front of you. D.A. Carson points out that Jesus is saying, when I'm gone, guess what you'll do? You'll keep going on looking for the Messiah. And he's already come. You keep going on looking for him who was standing right before you. And it will be too late. They will not find him. There are there are those who are practicing Judaism today and they are still looking for Messiah. They are each day praying that the Messiah will come, restore the temple and bring Israel back to its once prominent state. Guess what? He has already come. And they rejected their Messiah. They will wait in vain. They will look continuously for the one who is to come. And the only time that they will see him is when he breaks through the clouds to judge them. Don't wait for that moment. And this may, this may be the saddest end to the reality. Verse 21. You look for me and you will die in your sin. I won't be here long. When I leave you, you'll be looking for what was already here, the person you've rejected. And because of your unbelief, you will die in your sin. I wonder how many times you have told someone in reaching out to them, 
you will, you will die in your sin. It's effective. You should try it. It makes people mad at least. If anything, it'll make them mad at you. I'm sure the, the most common approach is he loves you so much. And how many times have they rejected that love? How many times has a window been opened for them, light been shown to them, and they said, yeah, no, bring the curtains down. I like it better when it's dark. The response that they, you should be giving them now is, you will die in your sin. Right. Try it. See how it goes. Jesus makes his judgment. And it's interesting because Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 16 says he judges no one according to the flesh. Remember that? He says, I judge no one according to the flesh like you do. Yet here is the one that will judge the living and the dead standing before these obstinate people passing judgment on them. He says, I will judge no one. But if I do judge, my judgment is true. And here's my judgment. You will die in your sin because of your unbelief. Notice, not sins, but sin. Singular. What is the sin? Unbelief. Rejection of Christ. And rejection of Christ will always bring destruction. Notice also who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to the upper echelon of religious people in all the land. They are supposedly the cream of the crop. They are the separated ones. They are the Pharisees, the Jews, the Sadducees, or the scribes. And, it is, and they view themselves as being the beloved, holy of God, the chosen of God. And he says to these chosen, cream of the crop, separated ones, you will die in your sin. Can you imagine? It would be like saying to some of you who think of yourself so highly, you will die in your sin. I love Calvin's comment on this. He says, when Christ sees that he is doing no good among these obstinate men, he threatens their destruction. And this is the end of all who reject the gospel, for it is not sown uselessly in the air. I love that. He says this. The result is either life or death when the gospel is sown. It's not sown uselessly. And we'll see what happens. It's either just going to fade away when the gospel is sown. It produces either life or death. The meaning of the words, however, is this. In the end, the wicked will feel how great and evil it was that they rejected Christ when he freely offered himself to them. But it will be too late. And there will be no more time for repentance. There will be no more time for repentance. This is not... The first statement that Jesus has made concerning this point, he says in John seven thirty three, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am going. You cannot come. And Jesus concludes the same way he did in John seven thirty four, where I am going. John eight twenty one. You cannot come because you will die in your sins. You cannot go where I am going. It seems like a, a sad indictment, but the reality is that this scene gets even more grim. It may seem sad already. You may feel like this is what I came to church for, to be encouraged this way. <laughs> yes, it is what you came for. Because the reality of this scene is this. It gets even more grim. How could it get more grim? Because of their reaction to what Christ has just said. And their reaction... We are going to see a road map to 
how to die in your sins. Number one, you want to die in your sins? Let me let me give you directions. Take self-righteous road. Number one, take self-righteous road. Verse 22 says, so the Jews said to him, will he kill himself? Since he says, where am I, where I am going, you cannot come. How do you die in your sin? Take self-righteous road. What is self-righteous road? It is this. It is the road that those who believe they are right with God apart from Christ take. That they are right with God apart from Christ. I don't need Christ. In myself, I am equipped, right, and true enough to stand before God on my own. Now... There are those who, are, who think that they're following Christ and they're not. But, but for right now, we'll focus on those who think they don't need Christ. That, that there is some kind of, of perfect quality within them that they will earn a place before God apart from Christ. Let me say to you that if you think you will be safe standing in the presence of God apart from Christ, you are in for a rude awakening. If you think that you will stand before Christ... After denying him on this earth and that you will be okay because of some kind of good deed that you've done or some kind of of good life that you think you lived, you will be sorely mistaken. You will die in your sins. You will be eternally punished and judged. Their response is this. This is what makes it so sad. Will he kill himself? Is that why he says where I'm going, you cannot come? What is just passed over their head? There's something that's not even concerned, that they're not even concerned about, right? They make this, first of all, sarcastic statement. What's he going to do, kill himself? They're not taking him seriously. This is why they said where he's going, we cannot go, because they believe that those who killed themselves went to a damned place that nobody can go to. They're saying he's going to go to that place because he kills himself? But, but even though they start to mock and ridicule him for saying, what's he going to do, kill himself? They're missing a big point. The big point that they're missing is this. You will die in your sins. And all they're worrying about is, where does he think he's going? He's just said to them, you're going to die in your sins. And they're not even concerned about it. I say to some of you, you will die in your sins and you're falling asleep. Not concerned. Not bothered one bit. Your eyes should be wide open. Is he talking about me? And here's where the problem is. That it went over their heads because they thought, that doesn't mean me. He's not talking about me. I have no sin that I would die in. So as Christ is calling them out in their sins, they're completely dismissing the fact that they have any sins. Now, if you've been a member of this church for a while, if you've been attending for any amount of time, you know that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, by, uh, in Christ alone. You know that. You know passages like the Lord looks down on heaven, from heaven to the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together, they've all become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Psalm 14, too. You know that passage. You know passages like Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I have cleansed my heart and who can say I am pure of sin? You know passages like that. You also know Isaiah 65 or 64 or 5 that says we've sinned and we need to be saved. 
We are like an unclean thing and all of our un, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. You know those passages. The problem is, you know, those passages. The problem is, you know, those passages. And then when those passages are, are spoken. You're not talking about me, though. He can't mean me. Because I know that passage. I can quote that passage. So, he can't mean me. Do you see the similarity between yes. those, you yes. sometimes and those who say, I yes. will die in my... That Jesus says you will die in your sin. The similarity is, he's not talking to me. Well, you're here. You have ears to hear. I'm talking to you. He's talking to you. You know that there's no amount of good deeds, right deeds that you can do in order to be uh, safe from God apart from Christ. You know this. You know there's no amount of children you can save from burning buildings. You know that there's no amount of blind people that you can cross the street with. You know there's no, no amount of food or money that you can give in order to be made right with God in all of those deeds. And the problem is you know those things. I think that when we hear statements like that, we tend to think that it must be for somebody else. I hope that person sitting behind me is hearing this because they really need to hear it. That person that just brought today, yes, I see them. They are all sinful. I can see sin all over them. And we hear these messages of repent and we think that repent means for somebody else. As a matter of fact, we are often offended. Even at me saying this to you right now, there's some people who are taking offense at me saying this to you right now. somehow in our minds we have gotten that we are the cream of the crop that somehow in our minds that we have have thought that we are now the blessed ones the the anointed ones the sacred separated ones i don't struggle with sin who are you talking to you must be talking to him oh yes brother please keep speaking i know what they're going through You were almost there. You almost said exactly what they were, what they were going through. Right. What about you? Amen. Amen. How has your mirror looked this morning? Mm. My mirror is clean. Windex clean. <laughs> I know there's no areas of my life that could be yielded to God. Well, there are, but me and God have, have talked those over and we have an understanding now. What arrogance and self-righteousness we walk in with sometimes as if we have achieved some level of sanctification that is so far above everyone else. Be humble, brothers and sisters. Stay on your knees, brothers and sisters. Be the publican every single day, brothers and sisters, who beats their chest and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't be like the tax collector and says, thank God I'm not like this man. But come to the house of God and come into the presence of God, humble before him, knowing that you are just as in need of mercy today as you were yesterday. Laugh and you will die in your sin. Where is that attitude most prevalent, I think? I think it's prevalent in places that people are unwilling to connect. People, they want to have their own private Bible studies one-on-one. No, 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 no. Me and him are having our own Bible study. I don't need to go to the race. I don't need to go to women of the word. It's amazing about the women of the word. 
The women of the world used to have people lining, women lining up to get in here. They might have even been willing to pay tickets to get in here. Now that they're going through the word verse by verse, little by little, that line has now disappeared. The crowds have now dispersed. Now there is just a few chosen who are sitting around the word and hearing what God is saying. I don't want to go to the race. I don't want to be close to people. Be careful. Be careful with that attitude. Be care- we need each other. You need the person sitting around you, behind you, in front of you. You need them. You can't do this alone. You weren't designed to do this alone. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks that they stand take heed lest they fall. Let us not be so confident that we begin to boast in ourselves and forget that our boasting in ourselves will cause the end and destruction of ourselves. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them. Yes. Yes. I never knew you. That's right. Amen. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness or you sinful man. Yes. That's right. How scary a verse that is. Yes. That we can think that we have been doing all of these things so right and fool ourselves into thinking that we have somehow reached a level above reproach. Only to have Christ stand before us and say, I don't even know who you are. Rather, let us be like David, who said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and let us see if there be any wicked way in me. Let us lay our hearts on the altar of God every single day and say, God, search me. See if there be anything in me that does not please you and remove it. Let us not be so self-righteous as to think that we have attained some type of spirituality that makes us above everybody else. Number two. First, you take... Self-righteous road. Then you make a right on worldly way. Verse 23 says this. He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. How does one die in their sins? Again, take self-righteous road. Then make a, a good sharp right on worldly way. Jesus knew that they were mocking him. And he refused to acknowledge their suggestion that he would kill himself. Instead, Jesus began to expand on the statement that they overlooked, which is this. You will die in your sins. Since you miss that and are worried about where I'm going, he makes his point even clearer. You are from below. I am from above. You think you knew where I'm from? Let me tell you where you're from. You're from below. You think you know who I am? Let me tell you who, are, who you are. As he's going to go on later and says, you're children of the devil. But anyways, he says, you're from below. I'm from above. You're from beneath. You are a part of this world. You're a part of this cosmos, this world. And in this context, it is referring to the invisible system of evil that opposes the kingdom of God. You are a part of this, this age, this cosmos. 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us that the world comprises of every lofty thing that rises up against the knowledge of God. John 12 tells us that this world and, and the age of this world are led by Satan. John 1.10 tells us that, that, that the world does not recognize the true identity of Christ. And 1 John tells us that the world does not recognize the true identity of believers. John 14.17 tells us that this world is ignorant to the Holy Spirit. John 3.19 tells us that the world is engulfed in their love of darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. 
That is this world that these people are coming from. It's a world of materialism. It's a world of humanism. It's a world of immorality, pride, selfishness, and greed. This world is hallmarked by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world that these people are a part of is is utterly opposed to truth. They don't want truth. They don't want divine truth. They want your truth, my truth. All truths are the same, even though they contradict each other. How can you function in a world like that? They oppose righteousness. When you don't go to the parties, when you don't involve yourselves in the vulgar talk, they oppose you. Now, because you are living upright, they have things to say about your uprightness. They oppose virtue. They oppose holiness. Their, their opinions are wrong. All wrong. Their, their aims are selfish. Their pleasures are sinful. Their influences are destructive. Their politics are corrupt. Let me say to you right now. I will never be a, 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 a political preacher. But the, the GOPs are, are going on right now. Those who are running for the, the Republican National Party. Be careful. Don't be so fooled as to be fooled by these fools. They're only saying what you want to hear. And even Trump is saying what he thinks people like, saying crazy things off the whim of his mind so that people will say, I like a crazy person like that. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Their politics are corrupt. Don't trust them. Don't rely on them. You can't. And why would you? They're not going to change anything. The only person, the only one that can change anything is Christ. And the most important people that you need to support are not those who are running for the government. But they are those who are standing behind pulpits every Sunday declaring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the ones who have the better job. They are the ones who have the more difficult job, the more responsible job, the more important job. So don't get caught up in what Rush Limbaugh says or or what they say on NBC. Be caught up in what he says. Be caught up in what he says. Am I saying don't vote? Of course I'm not saying don't vote. I would never be so irresponsible. But I am saying don't put all your faith in them. They are going to let you down. Their honors are corrupt. Their honors are empty. They recently honored Caitlyn Jenner, formerly known as or Bruce Jenner, who is now calling himself Caitlyn, honored him with a ESPY award for courage. How in the world is he getting an ESPY award for courage? Where where is the courage? We are encouraging drag queen to, to, to dress up in drag and that's courage. There was a time in this country when someone dressing up like a woman would be ridiculed as not being who they are, a man. And now we give them an award and we give them a television show. This world is corrupt in who they honor. Its smiles are phony. Its love is false. Its love is fleeting. We must not seek acceptance from that world. We must not desire to be adopted by that world. We must reject that world, its ideas, and its pursuits. And you, parents, 
have the, the difficult task of teaching your kids. Don't think you need to be loved by them. You, along with Christ, are not part of this world. Jesus said concerning his disciples, those who are his, John 17, 16, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. The problem is this. We claim that we are not of this world with our lips, but we live every single day that we, like we are of this world. Like we belong to this world. We live this way. We speak the opposite, but we live this way. Why do I say that? Because we share the same dreams of the world. We want the big houses. We want the big cars. And we will do and work ourselves to the bone in order to get them. We share the same hopes of fame and fortune. We too want to live lives of comfort and ease. We want to be on the front of magazines. We want to pass on the world. And then we pass on these worldly ideas to our kids. How do we do that? I'll give you an example. I was speaking to or heard a so-called believer speaking about a young man. You know who he is. He said, this young man has it all. He's good looking. He's got he's got a wife. He's got a kids. He's got a nice house. He's got a good job. He has it all. And I said to him, everything that you just listed is the equivalency of all. He has it all. Yeah. Yeah. And you believe in Christ. Yeah. Does he? No. Well, he's going to hell. So he has nothing. Well, I mean, no, I know what you mean because I heard what you said. When this life is over, he will be helpless. Those cars will stay and they will go to somebody that he does not want it to go to. That house will be sold. Someone will live in it and eventually be rented out and there'll be holes in the walls and rats on the floor. Those clothes will eventually have holes in them and they'll be burned in a dump. Those kids, yeah, you need to raise them up. That wife, fine. You have responsibility over her, but you can't take her or them with you. What about you? What about your pursuits? What matters? What to you is the good life? What to you is the fulfilled, satisfied life? Do you look at the world with envy? You businessmen who are subcontractors who do business on your own. Do you deal Honestly with your customers. Do you add more than you should? Do you say things that are not true? Let me say to you, if you're a believer, then you don't belong to this world. My dad used to say, and the world don't want you anyways. (laughs) They could spot you a mile away. You start hanging out with them. They know that your your speech is not like their speech. What are you doing here? Go back home. You don't belong here. They know you. They could smell you a mile away. You don't belong here. You don't belong with this crowd. You, you, you're, you're not one of us. That's a good thing when they tell you, what's wrong? What are you doing here? They're telling you you're marked. You belong to somebody else, not with us. If you want to die in your sin, be worldly. Chase their stars. Chase their music. Chase their money. Chase their fashions. Chase their dreams. Chase their desires. And don't complain when, you're, when you are destroyed along with them. Number three. So take self-righteous road, make a right on worldly way. Then jump on unbelieving street. Verse 24. I told you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. 
Make a left on unbelieving street. You can't miss it. That's the real issue here. Unbelief. It is because they are thoroughly worldly that Jesus repeated to them, you will die in your sins. Because you refuse to believe that he is the one that they've been waiting for. Again, the real issue, unbelief. What a powerful thing unbelief is. J.C. Ryle notes, all manner of sin may be forgiven. But unbelief, it bars the doors against mercy. Wow. Unbelief, it bars the doors against mercy. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 32, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What is that blasphemy? What is that sin that will not be forgiven? It is the sin of unbelief. It is the sin of rejecting truth. It is the sin of hearing truth constantly and constantly saying, I don't believe. I need more evidence. I'm still not convinced. What must we believe? Believe that this is the full revelation of God and that it points to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he is eternal, uncreated, the second person of the Trinity. Believe that he entered space and time as God in the flesh. Believe that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life. That his death on the cross is the only sufficient substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of all the world. Believe in him as your only way to be saved. Believe that he rose from the dead and that he ascended to the Father. Believe that he now intercedes for his own people. And believe that he will one day return to glory. Believe. Reject these truths and you will die in your sin. Do I need to believe in the Trinity? Yes, you do, Ron Vietti. Do I need to believe in eternal punishment in hell? Yes, you do, Ron Vietti. To reject these truths is to worship another Jesus. And there is no other Jesus. To reject these truths is to worship some other God. And there is no other God. To reject these truths is to ultimately hear Jesus say to you face to face when you see him, I never knew you. Mm -hmm. Depart from me, you who practice sin. Number four. Finally, once you make that that sharp left, you'll find yourself heading down a willfully ignorant way. Verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just as I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. But speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. If you want to die in your sin, take self-righteous road. Make a right on worldly way, then a left on unbelieving street. And that becomes willfully ignorant. If you don't believe that I am he. Well, the question is, who is the he that he's speaking about? If you don't believe that I am he. And the question has been answered by Jesus the moment that he came onto the scene. He's not failed to answer this question each time that they've been in his presence. He said to them in John 2.19, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He said in John 13, 13, or John 3, 13, no one one has ascended into heaven except he who first descended from heaven, the son of man. He said in John 4, 25, 
the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. John 5, 17, my father is working until now, until now, and I am working. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. John 6, 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Here's the point. They're asking him, who are you? And Jesus has been telling them every time he sees them who he is. And each time he's told them, they've rejected him. Think about this verse. He says in verse 26, and I have much to say about you. And much to judge. I love this. He says, essentially, if I wanted to accuse you based on your malice and wickedness, I could do that already. But there's so much more that I want to say about you and so much more that I'm going to judge you about. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He's saying, but I'm only going to say what the father has told me to say. I want to say it. I've got a lot to judge you about. But for right now, I'm being held in restraint because I put myself under the submission of the Father. I've got things to say to you, though. But I'll see you again. We'll meet again. And when we do, I'm going to let it all out. Everything I want to say about you and everything I want to judge you about, believe me, you will not get away with it. That's deep. When I read that, verse 27, he says... The Bible says they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. They still don't understand. Here's the thing. They didn't understand at that moment, but Jesus knew they would understand. They might not believe in that moment, but they would surely understand, which is why he says to them, when you lift it up in verse 28, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you'll know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father has taught me. So you may not get it now. But you're going to get it. When you see me lift it up, meaning when they see him crucified, they're going to understand this is a, more than a man. When all the things, when the world starts to shake, when the, the veil is torn from top to bottom, when, when people start rising from the dead as it was when Jesus died on the cross, you're going to know this is not just a mere man. You may continue in your unbelief, but you will understand. Amen. What a difference. There are people who understand exactly what you mean. They just don't believe. It's not a lack of understanding. It's simply a hard-hearted, a hard heart that fails to believe. Every claim that Jesus made, every claim that was made through Christ, the apostles, the prophets, it would all come to pass. And again, they could play dumb, but they would understand even if they did reject it. Verse 29 And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And through this conversation, the Holy Spirit began to work in the hearts of people that were standing by. Let me say, just so that we can solidify this point. Don't willfully reject the truth. You understand what we're saying. There are people that have I've grown up with in church. That they've heard this thing so many times and they think they know it. They think they get it. And because it's so familiar to them, they reject it. Because it, it's something that they've heard over and over again. And when you, speak, when you begin to speak to them, they think, I already know what you're going to say. So they continue in their ignorance, even though they think they understand. That's right. And even if they do understand, they still refuse to believe. That's right. Don't be that person. Don't be that person who understands but says, I've got no time for it. 
But again, through this grim discussion, through this this road map that leads to a highway, a highway to hell, there is hope. Because as Jesus is saying these forcefully difficult things, there are people standing in the crowd who are listening and the Holy Spirit is there working on their hearts. Can you imagine this tough conversation, all the harsh things that I've been saying to you tonight or this morning? And amongst the crowd who are hearing these things, there are some who are looking at Jesus and saying, I believe what he's saying. The Bible says in verse 30, many began to believe in him. How amazing is God? How wonderful is God? That, that they are not all damned to hell, but there are some that belong to him who are hearing the voice of their shepherd. And in that moment, they're saying, I believe. I believe what this man is saying. And they are now flocking and coming to him as he's having this, this, this confrontation as, we'll, as it escalates with these Jews. There are those who are coming to faith in Christ. That is amazing. And isn't that just like our God? Who knows those who belong to him and plucks them out of a crowd. Even a hostile crowd like the one that we're looking at now. The grace of God gave faith to those who belong to him. They heard these truths from the author of truth and began to respond in faith. They were turning from darkness to light, from death to life. And what a beautiful thing it is to see those come from such unbelief and pride. Walk humbly into the light. The Lord Jesus Christ opens a door of faith and they come running in. But for those who rejected him, their trip eventually led them again on the highway. They made it to the highway. And that highway led them straight to hell. What path are you on this morning? What road are you traveling on this morning? For those who are traveling on the road that leads to life, we know that it's narrow. I'm reading John Bunyan's um, Pilgrim's Progress right now. And it's amazing how he's told by a, a traveler, a person by the name of Interpreter, to stay on the narrow path. That there are no other ways to go. There's distractions. But there's no other way to go than to stay on the narrow path. The same it is for you believers. If you belong to Christ, there is no other way to go. There are no left turn, right turn, take this separate road. There is only one road. It is narrow. It is difficult. There are distractions. There are temptations along the way. But the road eventually leads to the celestial city. The city of God. He's put you on that road. He has given you a crown that as you travel down that road, those who ask you, who are you and where did you come from? As they did Christian in this book, it's a really great book and saying that crown marks that you have been sent on that road by evangelist. And you have the right ticket to the right pass to be there. There are others who are going to come and try to get you off that path. But their path will only lead you on a highway to hell. Reject them. Turn from them. I know it's difficult. I look at my brother, um, Patrick, over here, who's not been able to be with us as consistently each week because of work. 
And getting back on a Sunday reminds him on the, of the path that he's on. And throughout the week, brother, there are people that are going to try to get you off that path. As it is true for him, it is true for you. Don't do it. It will only lead you on a highway to hell. Those who are on the narrow road, those who are, let me say this carefully and listen to me carefully, those who are members of a church or members of this church, I welcome you to the Lord's table this morning. If you are not a member of a church, then I encourage you to become a member of a church. Just because you're here does not mean you're a member. There's a membership process that we go through in this church. Talk to me. Say, I'd like to become a member. I'd like to join this church. I'd like to to hear this gospel on a weekly basis. I want to to join mission with you guys. I want to reach this community as you guys are doing. I welcome you to the Lord's table, those of you who, who are on that narrow road. You are under the care and leadership of pastors and elders. Your life is submitted to Christ. And your life is passionate for the gospel and for getting the gospel to the nations. I welcome you to celebrate this morning what Christ has done in removing you from those roads that you may have been on. Whether it be self-righteous, whether it be willfully ignorant, whether it be whatever it was, he snatched you off of that road. And says, I know a better way. And by grace, he gave you a better choice. And by faith that he gave you, you are here. Let's stand. No, I've got a a piece of, of bread on my desk. Can you bring that to me? Our Lord and our God, we celebrate redemption. We celebrate redemption that was accomplished on our behalf. The Lord Jesus Christ went into a burning building full of rebels who set that building on fire themselves. These rebels were murderers. These rebels were thieves. These rebels were arrogant, and these rebels were you and I. And though we deserve to burn in that building, Christ, by His grace, came and pulled us out, living a life that we could not live and dying a death that we deserve. He was lifted up for the sins of the world. So that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue could be saved. And he conquered sin, death, and the grave. By rising from the dead and ascending to the right hand of the Father. Where today he makes intercession for his elect. He has called us to be his own. We have been joint with him and now joint heirs with Christ. We will one day reign with him. We celebrate a redemption. Accomplished, redemption applied. We now live in that peace. We now live in that joy. And we will celebrate one day redemption consummated where we will see Him and feast with Him face to face. Lord, to you, to you alone, be all the praise and the honor and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Ushers, would you serve the people, please?